0: Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles on the cart uh, back there. Raise your hand and we'll get a Bible to you. And, uh, and we're going we're to dive into a new series this week. Also on the cart, when you leave, um, there are some th- these little uh, booklets called Finding Peace at Christmas. It's a 10-day Christmas devotional. If you're looking for something to kind of help you stay focused on, uh, on Christ this season, uh, that'll be a good help to you. Pick up one of those on the way out. It's on the top shelf of the, of the cart back there. So we're starting a new series this morning, and uh, it's called One of Us. And so we're looking at all the ways that uh, Jesus came and, and is one of us. Uh, and every, it's a baby. I know everybody say all oh. and, and, uh, all right, that's it. That's the only one you get all Christmas long. And, uh, and so anyway, the, we're, we're looking at, you know, the whole, uh, message of the incarnation is, uh, is basically that God, uh, God who is spirit, God in heaven, uh, uh, came and poured himself into human flesh and became man for us. Uh, and so while he's here in the form of Jesus Christ, he is both man and God. And, uh, and the Bible uses actually that, that terminology that I just used, uh, Paul does in one of his letters, that, uh, that Jesus poured himself out for us. Poured himself out for us. In other words, that th- this, this being who was all-powerful, almighty, fully God, poured himself out from that present state into a, a little baby. A little baby. I, I like my way of kind of explaining it sometimes, and maybe it's not theologically correct or whatever, but I, I say that he kind of dumbed himself down for us so that we could understand him, so that we could comprehend him, so that there was an example for us that we could uh, emulate and follow and that sort of thing. So, so as, as, as Jesus does that, as he becomes a, a human being for us, uh, just, just kind of, we're, we're going to rest on that idea of Jesus growing up. Uh, this morning, and just that idea that Jesus became a baby—that that when God comes out of heaven into our realm, into into this side of the kingdom, and reveals Himself as the human being that we know as Jesus Christ, He starts off that life as a, a completely helpless baby. Uh, that's God. Like that's that's sometimes when I when I think about that, my mind just you know it just, I just I can't hardly even comprehend that God. Became this completely helpless baby, like he wasn't even one of those cool internet dancing babies or anything. I mean, he was just just a baby, right? Like if you've had babies, you know they're, they're pretty much worthless. they just are um, I mean, they are they just they, they contribute nothing, nothing. like Jesus didn 't show up to Joseph and Mary and was like doing multiplication miracles on their kitchen table or anything, and, and like, wow, we're so glad we have Jesus. He was just a baby. Just, just this thing that would cry and make messes and eat, and that was it. That was God. That was God. That's how He came to us. And that, uh, I, I'm sure your baby is worth something. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but really, they—they're they're not contributors at all. They're lousy roommates. And um, and so <laughs> these babies. I mean, he's, but that's how Jesus comes to us. That's how He comes to us. We don't know a whole lot, you know, we, we get this glimpse of the, of the birth story of Jesus, of, you know, Herod the king trying, to, you know, hearing that a Messiah was coming and trying to kill all the babies, and so Joseph and Mary take Jesus and run off to Egypt for a little while, you know, so they can keep him safe. And, but there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of information we have about Jesus as a young man, as a, as a boy, except for one little story in the book of Luke, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, Luke chapter 2, if you want to turn over there, Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> All right. Luke chapter 2. Got to find my spot. Okay, let's start with verse 41. It says this. Now his parents, <coughs> I'm talking about Jesus, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And this, was, this was typical in this day. Everybody would come to Jerusalem for the big Passover feast because and, and, you know, so, that's where the temple was. Verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So this is Jesus as a junior high boy, okay, 12 years old. It's hard to imagine Jesus as a junior high boy. Junior high boys are just under babies in terms of worthlessness, by the way. So um, (laughs) so by the end of the service, I'm going to try to offend everybody in the room. We're going to get there. Verse 43. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. I guess so. Verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, and in stature, and in favor with God and man. Okay, so this is really the only glimpse that we have into Jesus' childhood. This little story here. Now, one of the things I, my, one of my favorite verses in the in all of the Book of Luke, is uh, is this. Now, now, what you have to know, we have four Gospels. They all tell. The story of, of Christ, and and three of them are relatively the same story, and the book of John gives some different stories. Okay, and um, and so, but they all have kind of a different purpose. They were written. Some of them were written by some of Jesus's uh, closest followers, his apostles. Some of them were written by uh, people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry. But the book of Luke is different. That Je- Luke was was not uh, one of Jesus's twelve, or nor was he one of. The eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry. Luke came to faith later, you know, after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, but Luke was a journalist. And Luke writes his book by going around and interviewing eyewitnesses to get the stories and to compile them into what we know as the Gospel of Luke. I just, one of my favorite verses in the whole book of Luke is this verse in uh, uh, 51, verse, uh, verse 51, where it says, And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. The only way Luke knows that is if he's sitting down with Mary asking her these questions. I just like that idea of Luke and Mary sitting across a, a table or around a tree or something from each other and, and 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 Mary just kind of sharing her fondest memories of her life as Jesus' mother. And this is such an odd story uh, because as a parent, if many of you know the horror of losing one of your kids. Like... Um, I, my kids, Isaiah, Isaiah especially was a wanderer. Um, and, and I mean, you just had to keep eyes on him all the time as a toddler. He would just be, he would just take off. And I, there were there were several times that we were running around screaming like idiots in the mall, trying to find our son and, um, and just absolutely panicked and heart racing and everything trying to find, and Isaiah would always be actually where he would be today. Which is in some store that sold movies and video games and stuff like that. And he'd be two years old, like he'd come toddling out of a store, like holding DVDs and just just, just like shoplifting as a two-year-old, right? And and and, uh, and so we would finally find him, and we uh, he'd be so happy. We, because there there's that panic of, oh my gosh, what if some what if somebody took him? What if somebody? And so I can just picture Luke, kind of sitting across from Mary, saying, you know. Was was he really perfect? Like, surely he did something. All boys do something, right? Like, what? There must be there must be some story of he got into trouble somehow. Or, I mean, really perfect? What? what and Mary just being like, well, there was that one time, but it was kind of our fault actually. And and uh, yeah, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, they're leaving Jerusalem. With all of their family and friends from Nazareth, uh, who they traveled to Jerusalem with, and they're heading back, you know, walking back uh, to Nazareth, and it's several days' journey or whatever, and, and they get a day, a full day. I mean, how, how far can you walk in a day? Like, quite a ways, right? Like, I, I can walk like 100 miles in a day. No, I can't. <laughs> Nobody can do that. So anyway, no, but I, I, mean, I mean, but you get quite a ways. I mean, you're 10, 15, 20 miles away, depending on your pace. Right. And, and a day away before they realize. I thought you had Jesus. I thought you had Jesus. Where, where is he? And they're They go into this. We lost God. You know, I mean, where is he? And with this kid, this is not a good day. And so just, just, just all out panic, running back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a, a relatively big city for that time and place. And and looking around, find him. they finally find him among the teachers. They find him, they're actually teaching the teachers. And I love Jesus' response when they, when, they, when they do find him. And, and he says, uh, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I, say that word with me, that I must be in my father's house. I must. Where, where else would I be? I'm, I've got to be in my father's house. There's something in me that is crying out to stay close to my father. I got to be in his house. So Mary, she's thinking back over the story, and she can probably laugh about it now, but at the time, not so much. She relays this to Luke, and she—it means that story, that memory means so much to her. And then the next statement we get in this story is—is is really encapsulates all of Jesus' time as a young person. And it's this. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. So what I'm going to do this morning is talk about, we're kind of going to sit on that verse for a little while. And I want us to talk about, if you're a young person in the room, not quite an adult yet, um, what, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what is expected of you? And a hint, same thing that Jesus did. And, um, and if you're raising up young disciples, what's expected of you in order the way, in order how you should raise them? And we're going to kind of look at that. So put up that next statement. And it's this. And it kind of goes in line with that last uh, verse there. But young disciples are going to grow wise. They're going to grow up. And they're going to grow in community. They're going to grow wise. They're going to grow up. And they're going to grow in community. When we talk about a person who is growing wise, if you're a young person in the room, and we got a lot of young people in this service today, uh, but but in, in terms of, of growing wise, well, first of all, let me let me tell you a little bit about, about my own faith journey. I, I came to faith in Christ at five years old. I was baptized when I was six. And a lot of people will say, um, you know, um, I'll, I'll have conversations with parents with their four, five, six years old uh, kids and saying. He says he he wants to become a Christian and be baptized. I don't know if it's too young or whatever. And I would just say, as a parent, do not stand between your child and God. Do not stand between your child and God. Rather, lead them to him. Lead them to him. And so if the Holy Spirit is working in your kid's life, even at a very young age, uh, there's something going on. Now, I'm I'm not suggesting that at five years old. I had all the theological knowledge that I needed and had a complete understanding of scripture and, you know, it wasn't anything like that. I knew a few things. I knew that uh, God created everything. I knew that God loved me. I knew that um, I I was a sinner at five years old. I realized I was a sinner because I was constantly being caught sinning, right? (laughs) And I knew that God loved me so much that he forgave me of that sin. And really, that's just about all that I knew at five years old. I knew some of the stories and things like that, but in terms of theological statements, those are, those are, that was the extent of my theology. And that was enough. That was enough. I knew there was a God who loved me in my sinful state, and he would forgive me. And that was very interesting to me. And so I came to faith in Christ. Limited, limited knowledge. Okay, And then over the next several years, I would say from five to about age, I don't know, 14 or 15, my whole, um, the majority of my, uh, so-called relationship with Christ really was defined by, um, performance. I, I, it was all about sin and forgiveness. It was about, uh, I was still pretty sinful. Like God didn't clean me up completely. As far as I could see, uh, I still had sin in my life and I still made mistakes and I still was still in need of his forgiveness. And so that was kind of the relationship I had with God from five to about 14 or 15. It, it was me screwing up, saying, I'm sorry, God, and asking for forgiveness and trying harder and screwing up and saying, I'm sorry and asking for, I mean, just, that was the kind of cycle I was in from those, age. Now, here, here we go. While we don't want people to stay in that type of relationship with God because ultimately it's, it's unhealthy, okay, there's nothing wrong with you going through a, a phase, young people, where that is kind of how your relationship is is defined. As long as you don't stay there. As long as you don't stay there. At about age 14 or 15, I finally reached a point to where I realized that, that my relationship with God was not just about my moral performance, but rather that God was calling me to give my life to him. To completely give my life to him. To actually say to him, Whatever you need from me, however you want to use my life, I'm yours. And again, about 14, 15 years old is when I kind of came to that knowledge. Now, everybody hits it at different stages. I'm not the pattern for all discipleship of children, okay? Everybody hits it at different ages and different stages. But my point is this. Even if your kids have incomplete knowledge, first of all, your job as a parent is to help them in that knowledge. Uh, Kids, if if you're still a little unsure about things, that's fine. Respond to the way God is revealing himself to you. And over time, he will reveal more of himself to you. He'll reveal more of himself to you. At some point, as I I grew in Christ, um, part of that wisdom that this verse is talking about that we need to be growing in was me reaching a point to where the Bible was the final authority for my life. Because all wisdom comes from God's Word. Now, I'm not talking about education. There are places you can go for education. I'm not talking about street smarts. There are lessons you can learn, good or bad, you know, about street smarts. But all wisdom, and when I'm talking about wisdom, I'm talking about the ability to look at any situation in your life and know what the right thing to do is. It comes from God's Word. And so if we are going to grow, young people, if you're going to grow as a wiser person, Grow in wisdom the way that as Jesus grew, he grew in wisdom. You need to be able to do or, or be able to, to, to live in much the way that I'm sure he was living and, and is, is a witness to in this passage that we read because he was such a great teacher even at a very young age. Jesus was a student of God's word. Jesus had submitted himself to the word of God and, and this is what helped him to grow in wisdom. I, I mean... There's lots of differing ideas out there about what's wise and what's not and that sort of thing. But my my way of doing things is if there's a guy who, like, died and then raised himself up from the dead, I'm, I'm with that guy. I'm with that guy, okay? And so as we as followers of Jesus Christ, whether young or old, submit ourselves to God's word, it helps us to grow more and more wise. Until eventually when you have submitted yourself— I, I, I don't remember if I it seems like I told the story last week. I, I can't remember what I preached on, um, but anyway, it, it's it's a. I, I was reading something a long time ago that talked about that. In order to be an expert in anything, like Olympic, uh, you know, competitors and things like that, that that become just expert in their, experts in their sports, or to become expert in your particular field of uh, of of trade or of business or or or, or whatever. If, in order for any of us to become an expert at anything. It requires about ten thousand hours of practice, and once you have put ten thousand hours into any one thing you can you will be an expert in that field you 'll be completely competent, completely an expert in that field I, I was th- as I was thinking through that principle i thought I, I want to be an expert i, I don 't know i't I it would be impossible maybe for me to add up the time I have spent in god 's word, but it 's definitely up there. I don't know what that number is, if it's above or below 10,000, but it's got to be up there somewhere. But I I want to be that. I want, that. I want for all of us, actually, to be experts in the things of God, like we have spent so much time kind of in him, dedicated to him, abiding in him, walking with him, that we are in some degree, not, not perfected, not perfected, not I have arrived or anything like that, but We are so familiar with God's word that when it comes to making wise decisions, it just is second nature to us because it is just ingrained in who we are. And and young people, I would say, shoot for that. Shoot for that. It's not necessarily going to make God love you anymore, but it's going to prevent a a million mistakes in your life. It's going to prevent a million mistakes in your life. Get so entrenched into the word of God that Right decisions, godly decisions, are just your default because the word of God is planted so firmly in your heart. Become wise. The second thing there is that young disciples are going to grow up. Uh, my Bible says they, uh, he grew in stature. Some of your Bibles may say he grew in years. Uh, whether he grew in age or grew in size, uh, the point is that he was growing up. And, and I think there's so much more to growing up than just simply getting older and getting bigger. I think, I think um, that growing up, really, as we talked about earlier, earlier in the year in our discipleship series that we did, growing up is really about making this transition from um, being self-centered in most all areas of your life to being others-centered and God-centered. To be able to kind of look at life as a whole and realize that you're not the center of it, and instead you start thinking on a pretty regular basis about the needs of others and the will of God in your life. It's such a huge transition to go through when, when, we, when we grow up. And parents, it's our, our responsibility as, as, as parents and as, as of these children that God has entrusted to us that we, help them to, that we help them to grow up. We help them to grow up. One of the worst things you can do as a parent I'm a big believer of this, is to make all of your kids' decisions for them. Um, they need to be able to, how will you ever know if they are uh, may have made that transition into, from being self-centered into being other and God-centered if you never give them the opportunity to be other and God-centered? If you If you structure a life around your kids where it's completely okay and normal for them to be self-centered, We've got to provide opportunities for our kids to, to grow and to mature and, to, and, to, and, and, and even in the areas of discipleship to grow and to mature. Now, the last thing there is that he, he grew in uh, favor with God and man. He grew in community. He grew in the way he did community with the people around him, not just his peers, you know, people of the same age group. But in every you know everybody ever, all of his life, all the other adults and everybody he, he, he grew in favor in the way he related to people in his community in his community he grew in the community that he has uh, uh, by joining joining in with uh, a relationship with God, his father. he grew in favor in, in that way too, and this issue of community is is uh, is absolutely vital to all of us as, as we grow up kids. Get to the point to where i I know I get this because i was I was there once and I, I understand it it 's so easy to kind of default to your life being only about people that are your same age and especially and, and you have such uh, it 's so easy to get kind of tunnel vision on this issue as a young person where uh, let's say you 're a uh, I don't know, let's say you 're a freshman and 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 you not only do um, you get like focused in on young people, but sometimes you can even get focused in on people that are, of, that are only other freshmen, right? Like even give or take a year or two is like, it can be difficult for you to relate to. Open up uh, the way you relate to people and begin to engage people who are older than you and younger than you. Uh, and, and just people in the community, learn how to speak and speak well and speak respectfully to and with people of all ages in our community. It's, it's a it's a big deal, and as a young person, if you, can, if you can develop that habit now, it takes you so far very early on in your adult life. As a, as a young person, if you can relate well to other adults in your life, just that simple practice of learning to relate well with, with, uh, with adults in your life, you cannot imagine how hireable that makes you right out of high school, how hireable that makes you. It's just such a, it's such a... Now, in the same way in our, our, our relationships with God, growing in favor with God, begin to transition from that kind of performance-based faith to, want, to a, a faith that is based on a real relationship with God. A real relationship with Him. Parents, one of your roles in this is to, um, is, is, is to help, is to allow us as a church, to partner with you in the raising of your kids. If you've got young kids, have them in our, our, our kids' church activities and other activities that we do for kids. If you have teens, uh, have them in, in Matt's youth groups and Bible studies and things that he does for our kids and uh, and the other youth workers as well. Uh, it, it, it help them to engage not only with other people that they're a, that are their age, but also with other adults who care about them and who are doing ministry and teaching on a way that is understandable to them and on their, on their level and, and on their maturity level and that sort of thing. Help them engage in those ways. I'm going to tell you, some of your kids are going to, are going to kick in their heels and they're going to say they don't want to go and they're going to want to do this. And, and, and you got to remember that kids are resilient. Kids are resilient. One of the best things, one of the most, the best, most maturity, uh, Building things that you could do is force your kid to go to camp. Make them go to camp. Why? It just because they get there, they always have fun. They always have a great time, and they get so much out of it. It's just—I mean, there, there's just so much prayer and so much teaching and everything else that's poured into those camp situations. And so many kids make uh, new commitments, and it's just—it's just such a great thing. Uh, if you—if you have teens in this, uh, and you're in this church, you've got teens. Uh, I want to really challenge you to get your teens in our youth group. Matt does a fantastic job as our youth pastor and uh, his staff, his, 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 uh, uh, other leaders that help him do a fantastic job as well. And, and I, I just can't emphasize enough. Um, like, uh, well, I've said this before and I, I hate saying it because especially with him in the room, cause he gets a big head. Um, but, but I, it's, it's, it's true. And so I just have to say, and that, it, it, that's this, that, um, Matt has a knack. Now he's not perfect. Okay, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's a young guy, and he's not perfect, okay? But Matt has a knack for inspiring a passion for God's word in youth that I have never seen in any other youth pastor. I, I did 15 years of youth ministry before coming here. I've never seen another youth pastor inspire a love for God's word in our kids the way Matt has done and 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 to where that when as a as a dad and i have two teenage kids and they come home from bible studies it's a pretty regular thing for them to be processing what they've been talk about talking about putting it into action into their lives digging in deeper into the word on their own and continuing study beyond what matt has taught them and things like that and and i don't have like perfect kids not like pastor's house we're just you know walking around with stacks of bibles all the time that's (laughs) you would be so disappointed in our house if that's what you think um but um, but but they do. He 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 helps them, he gives them a desire to dig in and dig in deeper. And and what has happened, what I've seen in my kids, is is that uh, under Matt's leadership in the youth group and, and, and other the investment under the investment of others of you in our church, I, I've seen while well, again, while my kids aren't perfect, I've seen them come into true, honest, authentic relationships with Christ. And that's honestly I can't I can't hope for anything else. As a parent, as a pastor, I, I can't hope for anything else for my kids. Get your kids uh, in our, our youth ministry because it is—I I just can't tell you how valuable it is. It's is so valuable. I want—I want my kids' faith to be real. I mean, not only do I want them to engage in great, healthy relationships in society, I want their relationship with 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 God to be healthy. You guys know that um, the statistics say that even for kids who have been brought up in church their entire life, uh, once they graduate from high school, about 50% of them will walk away from the faith. Even the ones that have been brought up to church by you as parents their entire life, about half of them will walk away. That is That statistic scares me to death. I don't know about you. But it's just so scary. So scary. Can can, can I just share with you a couple of things that studies have shown, uh, people who do these kind of studies have shown, you know, when they have uh, done studies of kids who have stayed in church beyond graduation, there were common factors. I'm just going to share two of those common factors with you. The first thing is that most of them had parents who were authentically living their faith day in and day out among. Around around their kids, and I'm not saying being perfect. I'm not saying, you know, uh, you know, just being—I don't know—whatever you think is your definition of holy all the time or whatever. But I'm just saying authentic faith, faults and all, faults and all. But they were walking with God. They were in their word. They were sharing biblical principles with, with their kids and living out biblical principles on a regular basis. There was no disconnect between their church life and their home or work life. They were uh, consistent all the way around that they were, uh, even in terms of, of failing, which we all do, they would own that failure and seek repentance from God for it and seek repentance for their, from their children for it. They would, they would live out authentic faith in front of their kids. If you can do that, if you can kind of take off the masks and start living your faith day in and day out. I'm not t- again, I'm not talking about anything so grandiose. I'm just sim- simply saying, be authentic in your faith and do it around your kids as well. The other thing is this. A lot of times in youth ministry, we think in terms of, uh, you know, when we're doing events or programs, we think in terms of, you know, trying to have uh, maybe one adult for every five kids. And the studies say what we need to do is actually flip that on its head and think of in terms of five adults for every one kid. Not in term, not necessarily five adults at every youth group gathering for every one kid. That's not what we're talking about. That would get kind of awkward. Um, but what we're talking about is that you have you help your kids develop relationships with uh, at least five other adults in the church. These are uh, not just people like uh, youth pastors and youth workers, but they're also just. Just people in the church that maybe they develop relationships uh, with through uh, babysitting on a regular basis, uh, maybe it 's somebody in the church they that uh, you just you know you connect well with them and you like to take them out and for a, a coke or, or, or a little shopping trip or something like that, but you invest in them and you, and you just like hearing about their day and you just you just spend time with them and and uh, and when, as parents, a lot of times we get very nervous about this sort of thing and, and we kind of huddle up our kids and and, uh, and and we don't allow, and some, sometimes that's out of a sense of fear, and sometimes it's out of a sense of jealousy. Sometimes sometimes there's a fear that oh you know I don't if I if I trust another adult, what if something happens and you know it goes it goes wrong or whatever. And that's a healthy that's a, that's a, that's a right and healthy fear to have in certain cases. But enter into it prayerfully with uh, with time and really getting to know people and that sort of thing. But and then sometimes it's done out of jealousy where where it actually bothers you when your kids will share details of their life with another adult that they won't share with you. And I want to tell you, you got to let that go. you got to let that go. I am fully aware that my kids will occasionally get together with one of you and share details of their life that they're at that point in time uncomfortable sharing with me, and I welcome it. I welcome it because if i can help them uh uh make, develop relationships friendships with with other adults that are that love them and are like minded with me that is a win That is a win. And eventually, and what we've seen happen over and over in our family, is that most often once they share something with another adult that they just feel comfortable talking to or they like or whatever else, and they kind of get something off their chest, very often the next step is that they feel comfortable now talking to us about that thing. And now we've got multiple people in their life influencing them in the same direction. In the same direction. Get them connected with other people who care about them and who are like-minded in their faith and in your values. That is huge, huge. I want my kids, as they grow in their faith, I want them to have a faith that, that is strong, that, is, that goes beyond daily circumstances and is rooted in who God is, who God is. I, I read this thing this last week and it was just so it was so timely it's such a great example i'm still in somebody else's uh, uh, illustration but it it was such a great example because it it mirrored my life this week and um and so um I, I don't remember the time frame but one day recently one of my kids got my car stuck in the mud and um and so in doing that um it it, it was it was really stuck really like really really stuck and and I was trying to help he or she get that one, get that car out. And, um, and it was, it was not coming out easily. We went out there the first night and uh, you know, what, what was, what was an innocent kind of attempt at a U-turn uh, ended up being like stuck in a field. And, and, and so I went out there, called AAA, AAA, you know, comes out to try to, you know, extract the car from the mud, but it was, it was stuck in a way that um, you would have thought Jesus stuck it in the mud because it was, it was not coming out. And um, and so anyway, so trying to get the car out of the mud, it, the AAA couldn't do it, um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, my car is stuck in some guy's field. I was feeling bad for the landowner. I'm feeling bad because I don't have a car to drive, and and um, just kind of at a loss for what to do. So I start searching for anybody who might have a tractor or car with you know truck with mud tires or something who. So uh, God bless Justin Switzer. You guys know Justin and Stephanie Switzer. Justin's got a big old truck with big old mud tires that is kind of his toy, and it's got a winch on the front, thank God. And and, uh, and so, uh, well, it was a long ordeal, but to to kind of wrap it up, I think my little mic just went on. Um, To wrap it up, long story short, uh, it took an extra two days to to still get it out of the mud. And uh, as we got it out of the mud, i you. out, and eventually somebody's going to come by that is just going to love playing with their truck and yeah. just going <laughs> to take joy in pulling you out, and that sort of thing, and they're, they're just going to get to remind me of, of Justin, working with Justin this week trying to get the car out, but just that whole thing, so he made the statement, which I just love, he said, what if people had as much faith in their God as rednecks have in their trucks? I love that. I just love that so much. Why do people have as much faith in God as they to have their trust? This is what I want for my kids. I want my kids to have as much faith in their God as anybody has about anything else in their life. I want them to believe in God and believe in His ability to love them, to enter into a relationship with Him, him to care for them, to forgive them, to embrace them, to discipline them, to guide them, to direct them in their lives. I want them to believe that their God is big enough and loving enough and awesome enough that, that, he, that he will stand toe to toe with anything else, any other influence in their life. Anything. That's the kind of faith I want my kids to embrace. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what we want. Kids have that. That's what you want too. There's nobody, none of you kids in here that, that have a relationship with Christ right now are like, man, I hope I'm one of those statistics that, that drips away from the faith. You're thinking that. You're thinking, I love Jesus and I think this is going to be a part of my life. But there are steps you can make to make sure that it will continue to be a part of your life. Continue to grow as Jesus grew. Grow in wisdom. Submit yourself to God's word. Grow in uh, in uh, stature. And just continue to grow up and mature in, in the way that you make decisions and the way that you put the needs of others and the needs of God and the will of God above your own. Grow in all these areas that we're called to grow in we as a church want you as young people in our church that we want for you that the decisions that you're making more of yourself to them that that relationship with you would begin to really take root and move from being performance based to really and truly being relationship based God I I pray that over time you would prove yourself to our kids in ways that would just grow their faith and that it would become natural for them to trust you God for those of us that are raising kids or teaching kids Have an influence in a kid's life in some way, God. I pray that you would give us every ounce of wisdom and patience and love and compassion and everything we need to lead these kids to you. So we trust them to you. You've given them to us, and in ways we give them back to you. And uh, we ask that you, when we can't be there, to help them in their decision making. When we can't be there to guide their, their every step. And you would be the father and the mother and everything else that we cannot be. That they would hear your voice, and voice, and learn to follow your voice. You're such a good God. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's good. Amen. 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 Everybody have a great week. See you all next week.